Is that what you're singing? That's the song, Life is a Flower. I thought it was a roller coaster. No, that's Roland Keaton, Life is a Roller Coaster. Oh, yeah. Which do you prefer, personally? Um, I prefer this song over Ronan Keating, I must say. Oh. Um, but there you go. And actually, I have a funny story. My friend, um, good, sorry, for those of you just joining in the audience, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Um, we are Ant and JB. We'll, we'll do our formal instructions in a second, but I must tell the audience and you, JB, before we get started, mm. my friend, um, he is uh, famously a very strong disliker of Ronan Keating. He'll remain nameless, Adrian from Hertfordshire. Anyway, my friend Adrian hates Ronan Keating. And um, because he's on some mailing list for Magic Radio in London, a UK-based radio station, he had an email from them last week saying that Ronan Keating, as part of World Book Day, or Global Book Day, whatever it's called, was going to be reading bedtime stories on our children's channel in the UK called CBeebies, CBeebies Bedtime Stories. Anyway, he sent an expletive saying, what on earth is this person doing in my inbox? How outrageous. So um, that was to our circle of friends thread. So I have since proceeded to sign him up to every fan club mailing list to Ronan Keating. Uh, and also I sent him uh, via Amazon and it's gift, it's gifted. So he doesn't know who it's from. He still doesn't know who it's from now. I sent him, I found it on Amazon, uh, a Ronan Keating notebook with a, I'm sorry, I didn't listen. I, I was thinking about Ronan uh, Keating. <laughs> uh, anyway, it, it's funny for me. It means nothing to the rest of the audience. Um, but yeah, there we go. Exciting stuff. I I think he's all right. I think he's a nice fella. Yeah. Isn't he? Yeah. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. I think he just doesn't like his music, and you know, I don't know. People have their loves and hates, don't they? Yeah. Anyway, um, for the live audience, we were about to start the Global Leadership <laughs> Podcast. Um, how this works, if you've not been in the live audience before, is you have a chance to ask Ant, sorry, Ant, JB, and myself questions around leadership and we will talk about it anything about leadership we have some themes i have some themes to talk about today we do have a listener question that's been emailed in as well because as well as it being live in this audience we also put our entire podcast back catalog onto wherever you get your podcasts so if you would like to access um i think it's about 70 episodes now there's 75 80 hours of content if you search seedle wherever you get your podcasts you'll see that Leadership Podcast is right up there with the most popular ones. We have that in a sales podcast, but the Leadership one is very, very popular. In fact, we had a huge spike. We had, I think, 397% uplift last week or rolling 14 days. So I don't know what's that when we went off air? Probably. They were downloading it thinking, thank goodness for that. Um, <laughs> anyway, so um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Anthony Price. And I'm JB. And uh, for the next hour, we're going to talk an awful lot about global le leadership and probably an awful lot of rubbish. Um, and it's up to you to decide which bit is relevant to you. The thing that really uh, we enjoy a lot is getting lots of juicy questions. Uh, the juicy questions uh, keep us on our toes and keep us up to date with what you're thinking about and the challenges you face in your organizations. Otherwise, Ant and I just talk an awful lot of roll rubbish about our own experiences, some which um, it's, you can find in there a few little pithy gems. Absolutely. I'm glad I said that. Okay. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> and, and just for the live audience, I know some of you have signed up on our platform, seedle.com. And if you're listening on the recorded podcast, you can, of course, join us in the live audience. We do occasionally drop an expletive. So just to be warned, we apologize if we do, but this isn't like, you know, 
really constructed, structured PowerPoint. This is Ant and JB talking from the head and the heart. And let's be honest, out there in the big bad world right now, there is some rather emotive topics which sometimes lead us to perhaps not use the cleanest of language. So just to apologise for that in advance, isn't that right, JB? Absolutely. And the weight of expletives is usually with Ant rather than me because I am usually very, very polite. Bullshit. Oh, see? There we go. See, there um, you go. There's the Anyway, evidence. so if you're listening um, either in the live audience or you're listening to us via the podcast platforms, you can send in your questions, glp at seedle.com or globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com, and we come to them. We do have a listener question sent in, uh, but we also oh, have some topics to talk about. But before we get into the meat of it, Mr. Bradley, anything yes. exciting happening in your world? Apart from I know you had a VIP guest last week, didn't you? I, I did. I had my baby granddaughter who's 14 months and uh, learning lots of words and her favorite word of all time is no so you say what does the doggy say and she says no okay well let's try it another way what does the pussycat say no okay do you want to have some more num num no so that's the main learning. Um, what is quite interesting, going around with a tiny tot who is walking now, uh, you, you get to see a place in a very different way. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, I'm, so we went to London with her and she's just noticing absolutely everything, scanning what's going on and listening to all the noises. She, she, and she stares at people and then they stare back. And then the person looking at her laughs and then she laughs. And it's just, it just makes me think, you know, when you're born, uh, you're just born with loads of curiosity and interest and yeah. kind of, you know, she's taking so much in. And then when you get to go to work and stuff, I think a lot of people actually stop doing that. They give up all that wonderful curiosity and noticing. And, and I think sometimes it's sort of beaten out of us that, you know, look, don't waste your time doing all of that, noticing everything and having chats with everyone and finding out stuff and being curious. Get on with your work. I think it's a nice segue, actually, isn't it, into the importance of asking questions as a leader and having curiosity rather than I think some leaders are worried that their questions could be seen as judgmental because there is a... Um, expectation that questions suggest a lack of understanding by the leader or needs more information to make a reason, meaningful decision. And actually, I think curiosity of youngsters is a brilliant example. And and I have a three-year-old boy, uh, and JB has a 14-year-old. Oh, my God, he's curious. Yes. Yeah, uh, he's you were curious. Over a few weeks ago, weren't you? So, um, yeah. and, and he uh, is very similar. It's, why are you doing that? What are we doing over here? You come and have a look at this yeah. one. Um, and actually, people generally are kind of like, I, 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 this is quite an appealing place to be. I and mean, I'm exhausted after three years of it. But JB came over for a, for a beer, I think it was a few weeks ago. And you're only in the house for 45 minutes. And you needed to lay down in the car when you got back into the car. It was absolutely exhausting. Um, but I do, th I do think, I mean, I hadn't intended to go down this route. I just... Um... Thought was, I just was reminded of how brilliant it is for, you know, really young people just to be so naive and so yeah. curious about life. And, and, and I think it's, it is actually a really important thing for leaders um, to find that, um, you know, in a, in a child sometimes and to be curious and to be prepared not to know. 
to be pretty, you know, you don't have to know everything. And I, and I think just to, how does that work? What does that do? And I, you know, I'm curious and developing that curious style and sometimes intrigue. I, I think that's really attractive yeah. to people yeah. to follow that. You know, you create a culture of curiosity <laughs> and it's okay to be curious and it's okay to ask sometimes really stupid questions. Some people might think they're stupid, but actually I think the best leaders sometimes ask really simple questions mm. and get people to really think about how things work and how relationships work. And and I think, you know, if you, if you develop that curious style, as you rightly said, Anne, the, the questions follow. You get really good at asking really good questions. And, and those questions, I think, as you and I have already sort of demonstrated, are best um, when they are open. You know, the what's and the how's of life are the most exciting, most mind-bending, awareness-generating, best choice-creating questions known to man. They are, and women. Um, I must stop saying known to man, because that's... Um, Known, known to humankind. Known, known to, I like that. Known to humankind. I think those uh, kind of questions really, really open up debate and conversation. And sometimes uncomfortable, but that's another matter altogether. <laughs> so uh, this week, Mr. Bradley, I have a topic I'd oh, yes. like to talk about. What about yourself? Okay. Do you have a topic or do you want to go with mine? Or what order do we want to do things in? Well, I, I, I'm um, very happy to follow you, but I was looking at a Forbes article the other day about challenges business leaders need to be prepared for in 2022 and beyond. Ooh. And there's a few little thought provokers in there, which I would quite like to share, but uh, let's go with you first. Okay. Uh, so... Um, I'm deliberately, so the live audience would normally anticipate me to bring up a slide maybe to accompany our discussion today, but I'm conscious that actually what we really want you to get your head around is, is, is the audio description also because of our recorded podcast listeners. So, um, JB and I two years ago did a rather big study on attrition and communication style by the leader to their people. And whether there is a connection between the communication style of the leader and how many people quit their team based on their communication style. Now, that may not be obvious, but I'll explain this as I go along. Now, me and JB first revealed the results to this survey in the middle of a pandemic. And I know we're kind of getting towards the end of the pandemic now. Well, we certainly feel it. Well, look, there's far bigger news headlines now that are distracting our thinking. And whilst COVID is very much amongst us, we seem to have vaccinations that are reducing the risks to humankind. Anyway, of course, during the pandemic, this data was interesting, but not necessarily going to be something for people as a leader on this podcast to reflect upon. And why do I say this? Because two years ago, when we revealed this data, people were not going to change jobs. They were against changing jobs because they don't know whether they were going to have a job to come back to or whether it was going to reduce their, their stability by going to a new job during the middle of a pandemic. However, I'm sure we're all aware in the news right now, amongst all the other awful stuff that's going on in the world, there is an awful lot of noise around this great resignation. And therefore, I think it's really useful to revisit this data set and I'm going to summarize it in a second. And actually the importance of our listeners to this podcast 
to reflect upon their style and whether that is inflaming even more the risk of resignations within their direct reports. How does that sound as a framing for what I'm about to go into, JB? Is that okay if I've missed anything there? I, I, I think it's a wonderful frame. I think you can start work on the painting inside now. Okay, so there's the frame. Let me talk. I'm just going to, hang on a second. My headphones are playing up to date. There we go. Sorry, just changing some settings in the background, uh, dear listeners. So um, long story short, we asked 4,000 direct reports to rate their line managers. So we had these 1,300 line managers. We then contacted their 4,000 direct reports. So you can see the average there is between three and four direct reports per manager. And we asked the 4,000 direct reports where they think their boss spends most of their time in terms of communication style to them. So imagine JB's my boss. I'm a direct report. I get this survey and it says to me, Ant, tell us, is JB by default a coach, a mentor, or an instructor? Now, we do have a, an extra word to add in there later, but leave that for now. But basically, I was asked, here's a definition of what a coach is. Here's a definition of what a mentor is. Here's a definition of what an instructor is. Where does JB, as my boss, spend most of his time communicating to me? And I then voted in that, as did all my peers. I'm using this hypothetically. But what we then had is this snapshot of data of JB and his average position as rated by his direct reports. And what it showed was, no surprise, that most of the 1,300 managers that were surveyed if we imagine there is a chart and on the left, I'm trying to think of my, my angles now. JB, have I got this right? So on my left-hand side. Left is instructor, right is, is coach. I know, and I'm just conscious of the live audience looking at my hand. Is that, are you looking at my left hand at the moment? Am I left of, or right? I'm looking at your right hand. Okay. Yeah, I know, no, sorry, but on your screen, are you looking left or right of the screen? <laughs> Anyway, on, oh, on, on, on one yeah, side, that's got, left. It's yeah, on the left. Thanks. Okay. So you've got the instructor here and you've got the coach here and mentor in the middle. And what we had is more people were accumulated up this side. In other words, there were of our 1300 line managers, there were far more mentors and instructors than there were coaches and mentors. So if you imagine the mentor is bang in the middle, so there's a bit of mentor in the middle, but the majority of them were kind of towards the instructor end. Now, that data is interesting in itself because you'd say, well, actually, surely we need to bring more people up to the coaching end of the spectrum. And you would be forgiven, though, if you had lots of new joiners, because there is a time when you do need to be an instructor to a new joiner because they don't know what they don't know. But there comes a time after they've been with you six months where actually they should know their job well enough that you can mentor or coach them. That's the ideal position that me and JB take anyway. So we actually then removed the data to ensure that the 1300 line managers were only rated by people that had six months or longer. But that data is still as I just articulated. More people sat left of center towards the instructor zone, not the coaching end. Why is this important? Well, this is then when it got really interesting. We then pulled out the resignation rate for all of those 1300 line managers and plotted it underneath them. So remember, JB is my hypothetical boss here. Let's say I rated him as a coach. We then looked at JB's um, average position. And let's say all of my other people that rated um, JB, my boss, all rated him as a coach. And then we married up his position on the chart and also his voluntary attrition data. 
Now, here's where it gets fascinating. The coach-like managers had a 14, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's 14, 14% voluntary attrition rate. One four, that's really, really good in most businesses. Average business at the minute is running at 20 to 25% as it stands today. So actually, JB, the coach-like managers were being rated as, uh, as, a, as a coach, sorry. They were getting a 14% voluntary attrition rate. That's pretty good. The instructors, though, ladies and gents, this is where it gets fascinating. The people that were rated instructors by their direct reports had a 42% on average voluntary attrition rate. So on one end of the spectrum, the coach-like managers had a 1 in 10 resignation rate, roughly, well, 14%, so it's was at 1 in 8. We had nearly a 1 in 2 voluntary attrition rate for the instructors. Now, remember, we've removed the new joiners from that 4,000. So we, what we didn't want to do, because for the first six months, you are going to instruct. You are going to be closely supervising them. But if we remove those people that have passed their probation, sorry, we only show the data of people that have passed their probation, this data is far more valid. Now, of course, as I mentioned, you've now got instructors that have a high voluntary attrition rate, and then you have coaches that have a low voluntary attrition rate. So you can guess where me and JB get most requests in terms of how we support businesses. We need to instill a coach-like culture as soon as possible because we recognize while we're instructing our people, they are leaving far quicker than they would be if we coached them. So we need to train, educate our business to have a coach-like culture. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this back up today is because there's been the latest data is suggesting that most businesses in the UK are going to track up to 30, 33% voluntary attrition this year, 2022. And actually, they're saying if you don't do something about this in the next three months, you are going to be part of that one in three statistic. So all of a sudden, businesses now are taking investment in people far more seriously than they ever were before. Because guess what? Of all of those people, whether they were a coach lever or an instructor lever, when they're asked as what their reason for leaving is going, is still the majority of them are not choosing salary as the main reason they're moving on. Don't get me wrong. You can tempt someone away with a nice big basic salary, but you're not going to keep them in there if you treat them like shit whilst you're paying them a big salary forever. However, number one still remains my manager. Now, I don't, we have, we've not married the reasons for leaving up with our data because we couldn't go that deep and we couldn't contact an organization's leavers and saying, JB was a coach, like, well, why did you leave then? Because he had a 14% attrition rate. What did you leave for? So we don't have that level of data, although it would be great for us to add it in. But my point is, ladies and gents, and I'm going to hand to JB in a second for his thoughts on this, is that you have 90 days before this great resignation is about to bite. What can you do as a leader on this podcast today to impact your conversations tomorrow to become more coach-like? Because if our people are going to leave us, far less likely if we're a coach, then we need to give you something today to be able to impact those conversations tomorrow. Aside from signing up from the coaching program, which is available on Seedle.com for Seedle.com Enterprise members. Um, however... You've got this data, and we're going to redo this survey this year, by the way. So we'll have a 2022 snapshot as well. Um, but we're not saying instruction is bad because for your new joiners, it's needed. If you're doing a product launch, it's needed. 
But if your default position by your direct reports believe you to be an instructor, psychologically, they are far more likely to leave your team than if you are a coach or a mentor. Mentor, I think, sat at 24 25% from what I remember. Um, we always have a look at the extremes, you know, mentor in the middle, instructor 42%, coach 14 so Mr. Bradley, I guess there is my, my, my thinking. And again, if you're in the live audience and want to contribute to this conversation, feel free to do so in the chat box. Tell us, and we'll, we'll use you anonymously. So if you want to tell us what your attrition rate is at the minute and what you believe your style is, that would also be a great added value to the conversation. But Mr. Bradley, your thoughts on this data. Now, again, just again, one additional bit of context. We revealed this result two years ago, mid pandemic. Today, the great resignation is everywhere. Is being a coach going to be enough, even with a great resignation, to keep my people better? Well, it, you know, that dovetails perfectly into this Forbes uh, article. And um, I'll just remind you of the title of it. And it is Challenges Business Leaders Need to Be Prepared For in 2022 and Beyond. And I'm going to leap straight into the part where it talks about developing and retaining talent. So the Great Resignation um, was proposed by a guy called Professor Anthony Klotz of Texas and AM University. And uh, he proposed that as a, as a, a bit of thinking. Um, and actually, now it is a reality. Uh, in America, for example, 4 million uh, Americans left their jobs in July 2021 alone. That's in one month. That's an awful lot of resignations. And as an aside, uh, those resigna resignations are highest in the technology and healthcare sectors. I wonder why that is, actually. Why would that be? And I'm sure there's an obvious logical reason for that. I think um, technology is moving at such a pace that perhaps it's a, a role where most people tend to stay in situ for less duration. So technology may have a higher attrition anyway. So therefore, those figures, if they are exasperated, could be impacted. Healthcare, maybe people wanted to leave the profession given what they'd been through in the previous 15 months. I've got no idea, to be honest, but that yeah. would be my guess. Well, it goes on to say that most of the reasons responsible for record-breaking resignations, like, like upgrading to a better pay package or re-evaluating work-life priorities, in many ways stem from, and this is where it links to what you were talking about with the spectrum of approaches, in many ways it stems from an organization's inability to develop and retain talent. Uh, dissatisfaction with the workplace culture in another aspect that could encourage an employee to consider switching to another organization. So the recommendation here is understanding the root causes of why people are leaving uh, the organization, improving workplace culture, and developing a tailored retention program uh, could help a company reduce the number of resignations. Now, I think uh, it's really interesting to take that um, and actually dig a little bit deeper into it and realize, uh, I think, that spectrum of um, instruction. If you're working in an organization where you are just simply instructed to do what you do every day, uh, that is going to end up like a, a feeling of power over me. This is power over. 
um, not power with. I don't have my own autonomy. I don't have a culture where my thinking uh, is respected, uh, where my voice is not heard. Uh, I might not be known. I, not, I might not be focused around my own learning and development. And I, when I see stuff like this in these articles, I can look back and think about HR people who think that you, you create learning and development and do it to people. I, it, it's like, you, you know, oh, yeah, we do uh, learning and development here um, and we do it to our people. I think that needs to be turned on its head uh, because post-pandemic, it's about trust. And that's another point from this article uh, about the era of employee engagement. Uh, and that is um, that people, they trust their leaders uh, and they trust them during a crisis I, I think there are a lot of business that stepped up um, and that they had good trust going on inside their organization. They were able to deal with the changes um, and adapt and survive, um, mainly because they trusted. I think there's an interesting statistic about this, actually. According to an agility uh, PR solutions report, only about 32, and this is American based, okay, but you know, it's useful. We are talking global. Um, only about 32% of US employees agreed that they had leaders and managers that they could trust during a crisis. The point that I want to get to here... Trust what? Did they give you any colour on what the trust was lacking in? Um, it doesn't go into any great deal of detail, but it talks about feeling connected to their company's overall purpose, mission and values and clearly understand the impact of their contributions on the growth and recovery of the organization. Um, and an employee engagement directly impacts every aspect of business growth. Well, we know all of that. If you are a manager and you focus on an instructive style, if that is your approach, you are denying the opportunity for your people to feel, A, that their voice is being heard, and B, that you trust, that you trust their thinking. If you, if you continue to use an instructive style, you are denying the opportunity for your employees to feel trusted, particularly in the way that they think. Thinking is the most important thing to cultivate, to respect, to actively acknowledge and facilitate in an organization. That, in its own right, builds trust between an employer and an employee. And that's why coaching and is is more likely to retain people in an organization because the focus of coaching is to facilitate thinking, which creates awareness and creates good choices 
and creates an environment and culture of trust. And I, I think those two things link really, yeah, really perfectly. And um, that employee engagement is, is all about trust. And the other part is not doing um, learning and development to your people. It's actually creating and facilitating their own learning and development for which they take responsibility for. Um, and I think that's um, important. Other things came out of it like workplace flexibility expectations. It doesn't, you don't need to have everyone back in the office. If we do, you've learned nothing. You've <clears throat> learned absolutely nothing. If you think everyone's got to go back to the way it was, there is no normal. There is no new normal. There is no normal in work. <laughs> and is now showing a little book uh, called No Normal Leader, uh, written by three characters, including myself, the cheeky monkey. Ah. Um, so I, I think, you know, we, we, we actually, I'll tell you one final thing and then I'll shut up. Um, one final thing that I stuck out for me in this article um, was the idea that we need to switch now from survival mode strategy um, and utilize the experience to prepare for the future. And, and, our, and I are unapologetically focused on the learning and development of people. Um, but that in our world, is about people taking responsibility for that themselves and to work with senior leaders uh, to make sure that they create that culture of learning and thinking in organisations. Right, that's me done. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> no, 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 please, please. I'm going to ask you a question <laughs> in a second. So um, just for the, for the listeners in this podcast, uh, a metaphor or an analogy that JB and I like to use around this approach linked to attrition piece is some of your team let's imagine that you are a, t a bike riding team and you're a sports athletics team whatever it might be that are all going to be riding in the olympics or not as the case may be but you're all a team of a, a, a bike racing team when of course someone never gets on sorry gets on their bike for the very first time you need to instruct them they don't know what they don't know but over time they very quickly pick up how to ride the bike and actually over the course of six months a year Arguably, they probably are pretty good at riding their bike by this point. They can do the gears. They know how to speed up, slow down. They know how to not fall off. They know how to navigate through thin roads, all those sorts of things. And arguably, if we were still telling them at that point how to ride their bike, there might be a problem because it sounds like we're just patronizing them. And actually, your thinking is not important. You need to. Uh, uh, yeah, you know how to ride up that road, but I'm going to tell you again anyway. It becomes exhausting for that direct report to keep listening to you telling them how to ride their bike. And actually... The role of a boss is not to simply instruct. The role of a boss is to lead, is to coach, is to instruct, is to supervise, but it's all of those things. We need to be a leader, we need to be a manager, and we need to be a coach to be effective as all of these things. And me and JB talk about this three-legged stool, which is trademarked Jonathan Bradley, 2005. Um, anyway, I digress. Um, but the point is, is that um, if you think of Olympic cyclists, their, their coaches, are not better cyclists 
than the cyclists themselves. If you look at famous tennis stars, their coaches are not better tennis players than the people they are coaching. The role of a coach is not to be the smartest person in the room, exactly as JB articulates so perfectly there. It's about facilitating the thinking, the reality of the other, to allow them to think of better with things forward. We have to play devil's advocate. That's not instructing. That's facilitating the thinking of the other person. And actually, that can be this curiosity that JB referred to of his granddaughter at the beginning of this podcast. Curious or curiosity or skeptical curiosity can be a really good facilitator of thinking. And I don't know about you, if you guys think about the bosses you've worked for over the years and think about that best boss. And if you've not had a best boss, it's a bit like certain, certain things you say, you know, you've done it, you've definitely done it. If you've had a good boss, you'll know it. And actually, if you really think about what made them so great, it probably was because they valued your thinking. It probably was when they had a one-to-one with you. It wasn't about them telling you what they wanted you to think. They were really interested in what you had to add to the conversation. They brought you in for your knowledge and they want it. They don't bring you in to be a yes or a no person. How is that leadership? Without going into political situations, I'm sure we're all aware of what's going on around the world at the moment. And for people listening to the podcasts in the future, you'll be aware of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And again, we had a big thing on it last week, so we're not going to re-go through things this week on it. However, I suspect that the leadership of a certain Russian leader is not probably conducive to keeping your people. But when you're in a regime where you have no alternative but to comply, you're going to stick with it. In probably a free world, you would elect to leave working for a leader that doesn't value your thinking. And I'm pretty sure at the top of government in Russia right now, there are direct reports of the leader possibly not happy with his instruction because his default style is instruction. And yet, if we look at the Ukraine situation, again, there is some things there that I'm, again, you know, over the last seven days is a long time with this conflict right now. I think a week ago, we were saying he was the, the Ukraine president, um, was an incredible individual, is an incredible individual still today. Hopefully that remains the case. Um, And he was inspirational. But of course, people wanted and want to serve him and support him. There's a difference. There's a willingness. And I think that's so important in business is that during conflicts, during difficult times, the leaders that get the best of their people value the contribution they make rather than being a control and command. And I think that's why if we look at the young generations as well now coming through the ranks of your businesses, they expect for their thinking to be valued. If they don't have their thinking respected or valued or even acknowledged, at least they're going to go somewhere else. Putting it back to the beginning of this cycling analogy. If you keep telling me how to ride my bike, I've been here two years. I can ride my bike better than you, boss. I'm going to go and ride off to another team where my thinking is valued. See you later, alligator. Mic drop done. Oh, um, excellent. Um, <laughs> have you ever dropped a mic in your um, radio experience? Uh, in nightclubs when I had someone else's cheap microphones, yes. But I always had, I mean, this, if I drop this, this weighs a ton. It's on a big hydraulic arm. Yeah. I'd, I'd be worried about dropping it because of how expensive it is. I mean, it's, it's even got power on it. There's an LED on it and everything. It's all, it's oh very nice. God. Yeah. It's very nice. Um, um, no, I've, I've never dropped a mic deliberately. I, as you were speaking there, Ant, I was thinking about managers of the past that I've had, and I, I have, I have actually had managers who were a little bit Putin-esque, 
in their approach. And Goodness. is that going to be a dictionary I did, definition scene? I did. I worked for an estate agency in Mayfair in London once as a young man. I think I was in my early 20s, if I remember rightly. And I, it was very, very, it was a very kind of um, authoritative, um, authoritarian rather, uh, regime. And I once rolled up my sleeves because it was boiling in this unconditioned, uh, unair conditioned office. And I was told by manage, my manager uh, at the company, oh, I'm going to say it, who cares? At Chesterton's, uh, we do not roll up our sleeves. <laughs> that was the kind of organisation that I, I, I worked for. Um, and my thinking was definitely not um, encouraged whatsoever in that organisation. But I can think of other more Vladimir Solinsky type uh, managers that I had uh, who just uh, gave me confidence that they wanted me to contribute. And I, they made me feel like my thinking was valid. They gave me a voice. They... Um, I don't know. They 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 listened. They they gave me a damn good listening to, and I that just makes me want to kind of be smart and be clever and innovate and do stuff for the business and be part of a team and and I think it's really important, uh, you know, in our world now that's gone a bit peculiar. Uh, to really keep working on trust uh, in our organisations, trust in our lives, really, um, and actually give people the opportunity to speak, re even if we don't really necessarily agree with their point of view. I think there's an awful lot of uh, people that need to speak right now. I think people are very anxious, and I spent some people uh, some time with some people yesterday. Um, and these are really decent people, and uh, they're a bit younger than me, only so like 10 years younger than me. Um, but they are incredibly anxious about what's happening in the world. And the guy I was with actually told me, um, I won't mention their names, but um, he he's having panic attacks about what's happening in Ukraine and, you know, about Putin and about you know some of the Western responses to it. He's he's he stopped listening to the radio now. Uh, he puts on music because it's doing his head in. And I I think that we need to make sure in organisations and beyond that we are listening. Uh, we are hearing. You know, put our put our hearing on maximum power, uh, and have good conversations with our friends, with our family, and I, I think at work we need to be able to help people talk about it, have conversations, conversations in a trusting environment where people's thinking is uh, heard, their voices are heard, more important than ever right now. Don't you think, Ant? I, I, that's my feeling anyway. I, uh, yeah, I think we are both in agreement that curiosity breeds answers to questions. And JB, you and I talk, actually, if we think about that instructor, mentor, coach, the share of voice is often telling us to whether the perception of the, the yeah. of you 
as the manager is actually accurate. You know, if you're saying you are absolutely a coach, we would then ask, okay, so on a typical conversation, what percentage of the time are you listening versus talking? Uh, you know, how much of your microphone is unmuted versus the direct reports microphone being unmuted, if that's the relationship of coach and coachee. And if it's anything less than 75% their voice, if you're the coach and they are the coachee, then you're not coaching. A true coach does maximum 25, 30% of the talking because 70% should be listening and letting the coachee follow their interests and direct the conversation based on their thinking. Um, but the other thing that we have to do, of course, is to summarize, to demonstrate listening and understanding. And I think that's also, I think, as, as you say, JB, with, with the mood as it is around the world right now, I think we have to be seen as compassionate and listening and demonstrating we're listening, demonstrating we're listening as well. I, I, I think that I think that summarizes it rather well, actually. And I, the summarizing is a brilliant skill, and people think that they do it, uh, but often they're not. What they're doing um, is offering a, a, their own words and their own thinking, imposing it on what they are describing as what they've just heard, and I, I've kind of um done a lot of work around uh coaching and um conversations in organizations and it's amazing how uh people when they've been told that summarizing is a good a really good thing to keep the conversation on track uh and also to to to, to build trust that you are a great listener to that other person how before you get skilled at it uh, what it can become is a very slanted view of the conversation because we always go into conversations with our own interests and we we have to we have to kind of put our interests aside and follow the interest of the other person and then summarize precisely what has been said using reflective language and a perfect a perfect summary it is a, a absolute art um and no no one i've ever known is is perfect at it it takes an awful lot of work but it is a skill mm. it is a skill that you can really really develop um i'm i'm working on um developing something else um at the moment which um it's a it's an aside but um i how much how many buts do you use as opposed to ands and I've I've been reading some um, quite interesting books about um, buts and ands. You'd think you'd think that there wouldn't be a book about buts and ands, but there is. And if you use uh, but in your conversation a lot, it usually means that you are looking at it from a negative perspective, that you're going in with a negative mind a negative approach. If you replace but as much as you can with an and, uh, then you're going to be almost uh, programmed to come up with some things that you're going to do instead. So I'm, um, I would, I'm, I am going to the pub, but means I've got things that I'm, I'm not going to, I can't go because I've got these things. I it's am almost dismissive, the isn't it, of what the other person said? 
yeah, I am going to the pub and I'm also going to. I don't, and I don't care what you think. And I, yeah, (laughs) it could be. Uh, But so uh, the the reason I raise that as an aside is that if you uh, summarize a conversation and you put a but in there as opposed to an and, it's going to have a very, very different meaning to the other person. And guess what happens if you do that on a regular basis? Trust Mm. goes down because you're not really listening. It's all about you and it's all about your own um, infinite wisdom. Wisdom. Um, As you you were talking, you know, we get people to um, practice having these kind of conversations. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be great if we had a method or a tool ideally electronic that would gauge the airtime of the people in that conversation so you know green would be on yours red would be on mine my my red light flashes when i'm speaking and your green light flashes when you're speaking and at the end we what it tallies the percentage of your conversation in that conversation and mine and that would be that would be Very fun to have, wouldn't it? Do you think? The, do you think well, that's doable? Well, I reckon so. I could ask our software developer to do it. I think the simple thing to do is if I to put myself left mic and you did yourself right mic, you then see how much uh, uh, um, of the sound waves are weighted that way. You have a visualization of it potentially. Uh, anyway, mm. Mm. should we move to listeners' questions? Because I'm conscious we do yes, have please. a listener question. Yes. And um, for those okay. in the audience, if you have any questions, here's how you can ask them. If you want to ask us anything, you can use the chat box if you're happy to do it publicly. We'll use your first name only, but please remember uh, that it will be published on all podcast platforms worldwide. So just be aware that your name will forever, your first name and your question will forever be um, incarcerated into <laughs> podcast um heavens uh if you want to ask the question anonymously please use the q a box um and the q a box you can mark your question as anonymous which means only jb and i can see the question we can't see who submitted it which means we can't see it either by the way so it's total confidentiality or if you don't want to ask a question now then definitely send them in in the future to glp at seedle.com or global leadership podcast or one word at gmail.com uh katie uh from germany um it's not very german name actually is it but um, there we go uh, her question is um i'm gonna sorry i'm gonna do a bit of a um i've been listening for a long time i really enjoy your show isn't that nice oh um, it's not a show it's a person yeah exactly um, anyway i'm about to take on my first v- virtual leadership role with our entire team now going into global matrixes rather than an in-country regional team selling everything i think I understand that i think what she means is like me and jay did with the company once before is i'm now going to manage the same product globally with lots of international people rather than managing a team that sell all of our portfolio in a particular geography uh, anyway um, what tips would you give me in my first 90 days to be successful now managing a remote team? Ooh. Um, I'll, I'll well, go first if you want to, or do you want to go first? You go for your, your, you, uh, you, you probably know this question a little bit longer than I do. So you go for it first and well, I'll. Yeah. JB knows I run a virtual leadership program. Um, communicate, communicate, communicate is my general piece of rule here i don't think um over communication is possible with a remote working team uh i think it's important to revisit 
objectives of these people and your your own people as well as um uh the remote workers uh, and maybe think about chunking things up into bite-sized pieces because you need to give frequent performance guidance annual objectives do not work in a remote working world i think if you can chunk them up and give them regular feedback it then means they get those hits of you're doing really well or they don't leave it too long before finding out they're not doing well uh, tip number two manage the results and not the process i'm sure jb will refer to that a bit more anyway um and i'll give you one more tip because i'm conscious i don't want to steal all of, of jb's potential answers and we can always kick this around oh a bit more God, you're building me up i'm, I'm, I'm ah! still thinking um <laughs> uh the importance of um maintaining one-to-ones is critical just because someone's doing well doesn't mean you can leave them alone often they're the ones that very quickly can lose their engagement if you assume everything's fine even if you have a one-to-one and there's nothing to talk about, start the meeting, see if there's anything else they'd like to talk about, chew the fat for five minutes about how the cat, the dog, the wife, the husband, the pets, and the children are, and then end the call. Don't cancel it because that will then become habit. So my three tips to summarize is consistently have one-to-ones, rethink your objective setting, uh, and uh, there is no such thing as over-communication in a remote working team's world. Hope you like those, Katie. Mr. Bradley. I, I like those. Um, I'm just going to do three little simple models, uh, which I think support what you have just been talking about. Number one, OPPT is a very nice, very Famous neat... Famous teabag. Oh, no. Teabag. <laughs> is a very neat way of getting your team uh, to recognise a structure for conversations on uh, Zoom, whatever it happens to be. So the O of the OPPT is outcome. And as Anch mentioned earlier, get outcome first in your mind. Uh, everything is about the outcome. It could be uh, the outcome of the conversation that you're going to have with your team and what everyone is looking for as an outcome from it. It could be the project itself and just getting everybody to visualize that outcome. Uh, more important virtually, I think, for that, uh, because uh, you've got a sort of remoteness, obviously, um, from being virtual. So getting everybody to describe outcomes and how it affects them, how it affects others, how it affects the situation itself. Get outcome led. Um, and then the next part and the first P is process. Um, what is the process required to achieve said outcome? The thing that's going to make everyone feel warm and fuzzy because we hit that target. Uh, we arrived at that distant shore. Uh, despite everything, we got there. What is the process that we must use in order to get there safely and as a good, strong team? Uh, the next part is the participants. Who needs to be in that team, in that project, and what is their role? How are they going to participate, and who are the participants uh, involved in it? And then finally, uh, make sure that you get a very good time agreement with people on those virtual calls. Uh, everyone must honour and respect time and not move away from that. So become, become really, really tight around time. Get other people involved. 
in committing to making sure things bloody well happen on time. So that's a lovely little tool called OPPT. Um, the other one is actually it's a bit more human um, and it is just simply called on your virtual slide, know me, focus me, value me and measure that on a regular basis with your team. Do I feel known? Do I feel focused? And do I feel valued? If those scores are low, that's not good. We've got to work on that in the one-to-ones. And as Ant said, if you need to talk about the aunt, the sister, the mum, the dog, the cat, and the budgie, then that's maybe what they want to be known for. All of these things. Know your people. Let them, more importantly, help them to feel known, help them to feel focused, and help them to feel valued. All of those good things about trusting their thinking and all of those things will come within the know me, focus me, value me. So stick that up on the screen. Get transparent around that. Get everyone contributing uh, to how they're feeling about those three areas. The final thing I'm going to offer is uh, something that I've noticed sometimes on virtual comms. Uh, it's not always easy for people to get uncomfortable about stuff. There's a, almost like a strange little barrier that we can't really do it because it's all virtual. Okay, so uh, Anne and I um, have, have worked with a few teams on this and it's quite interesting. It's like a dartboard and on the outer edge, uh, you've got the zone of uh, comfortable debate. Then in the middle zone, uh, you've got the zone of uncomfortable debate. And in the middle, you've got the elephant in the room. Again, being really transparent with the team and getting them comfortable with the idea of uncomfortable conversations, facilitate them um, and get them to practice uh, being able to go from uncomfortable to comfortable. So yeah, we do comfortable stuff. We talk about the weather. How is it for you in Ramsgate? How is it for you in uh, wherever? Um, and then get them to get into some uncomfortable stuff. And actually the first time you do it, get them involved in having some uncomfortable debate around things that are not that easy to talk about and be prepared yourself to poke the elephant in the room, but get them used. It's, it's really good if you can get people talking about the things that actually are the elephants in the room around here to get them to talk about things that are a little bit uncomfortable, the, the zone of uncomfortable debate. Use the models to tease out yeah, if I was talking about that in that model, it would be a bit like that. And then they've just done it. They've just raised something that's a bit uncomfortable because they're talking about a model. Do you know what I mean? It's quite a, an yeah. interesting tool. It's quite a fun way of having some quite tough conversations. To, so don't avoid having uncomfortable conversations because you might miss the moment of some serious uh, innovation uh, just by challenging some assumptions and thinking. Some useful tips there. Um, uh, thank you very much for your question. There has been a question coming from the live audience, but it ironically was, what is that bottle of drink you keep behind your shoulder? Uh, ah, what about ah. this one? Uh, this is uh, Serrano Fine's Great British Rum. Uh, and for those listening to the podcast, you'll have no idea because you can't see this, but uh, one of our shareholders um, also runs a rum business with Serrano <laughs> Fines, who is a global explorer. 
uh, anyway, um, and yeah, I actually opened it for the first time in January. I've never had rum before, but I was asked to try it to mark our first anniversary, and that's the story. But there you go. Um, so there are you many to... other rums available from other known retailers. Yeah, but we, we're not BBC here. We can be commercial. That's product placement for our shareholder. Okay. So, uh, uh, oh, uh, I see. Right, okay. Anyway, uh, thank you, Matthias, for, for asking that question. Anyway, our time is nearly up. Mr. Bradley, what is your exciting plans for the next seven days? Well, um, I have to put a uh, another proposal together for um, someone I haven't seen for 10 to 15 years, we reckon. Um, just came out of the woodwork. And they said, are you still doing that mad stuff? You know, I said, yeah, <laughs> I'm still doing, yeah, still doing mad stuff. Um, so I'm doing, doing that, doing some mad stuff uh, and grieving the fact that my granddaughter isn't around anymore. Just coming down and seeing her in the kitchen, filling her face with lots of what she called numis. They're called numis, which is her food. Um, and uh, sometimes being able to feed her myself. So I'm grieving that this week um, and looking forward to her coming back again. Nice. Um, and yeah, that, yeah, quite busy actually with stuff this week, working with you on a few bits and bobs. Yeah, we've got some stuff on tomorrow, haven't we? And we've got a big client um, that should be also coming over the line this week as well, which is good news. Um, I, have, I, have a you, long, yeah. I have a long weekend off. So uh, on Thursday, I disappear off for a, a weekend with my um, with my f uh, cousins and circle of friends from our childhood, and we go away once a year. Although we haven't done it for the last two years, so this would be the first one since twenty twenty. So two years, and we're is going this away. Where for you a... get naked in? Is this where you get naked in saunas? Um, no, no, no. Oh, that we did that once by accident. Well, we didn't. We were forced to because we went to Germany and didn't realize that was the etiquette there. And we were told, um, what was it called? Uh, Klein? Uh, no, uh, textile fry, which is German for no clothes. Uh, anyway, no. Fry. Yeah, textile fry is the sign on the walls. And if anyone is in the audience that is uh, of a German uh, descent, I apologize if my pronunciation was poor there. Um, I, looking at some of the surnames, I suspect some could well be. Uh, anyway, but you're um, not getting naked anyway. No, we're going to the Lake District, which is um, a beautiful part of the UK, um, which is basically a big giant pub crawl. That's what we're going to be doing this weekend. Oh, so we're going to oh, five mile walk, pub. Five mile walk, pub, five mile walk, pub. And that's what we're doing for three days and then falling asleep at a reasonable time, I suspect, because I am now in my 40s. So, you know, that thing happens, doesn't it? Young, you young whippersnapper. Anyway, uh, our hour is up, ladies and gents. Hopefully in the live audience, you've enjoyed it. If you want to download or look at any of our other episodes, there are plenty to choose from. Just search Seedle wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question and you're in the audience or you want to uh, submit a question from listening to our downloads, you can submit them by going to email uh, globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com and we'll come to your questions, as you probably gathered, along with the news of the week. And clearly... There's a lot going on in the world right now, but we wanted to take a bit of a look at some things we could hopefully make a difference with. So I've been Anthony Price. And I am JB. And if you've got this far into the podcast, uh, I feel that you've known us, you've focused us, and you've valued us. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>